Resisting the pull to the darkest timeline. I, I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not going to do a bad Dracula voice all night. <laughs> uh, this is Battle of the Atom. This is coming out uh, the day before Halloween, which we all know is the spookiest day of the year. Super spooky. Super spooky. So we have three spooky X-Men stories to talk about. And you know what we're going to do with those stories after we talk about them, Adam? I think we might rank them. We are. We're going to rank them on our big old master list of all the X-Men stories. We have 33 different stories on our list right now. Can you believe that? Uh, it's great. It just keeps it getting bigger. Great. It is great. Our number one is Days of Future Past. Our number 33 is X-Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire. Man, why did we put that at the bottom? Because now we have to say that like frequently. <laughs> we have to remind ourselves it exists. Now, that's yeah. a scary story if you want to read that. It's scary oh. that it got published. Yeah, but. so scary, don't ever read it. Thank you. It's good, <laughs> but, though. You yeah. know, it's like a public service announcement. Every time we announce it, we can be like, and remember, kids, don't do it. Don't read it. Don't even look for it. <laughs> well, it's this weird story about limbo and fire and a sword. Mm, and you know sounds what? familiar. <laughs> it kind of sounds like Storm and Ileana Magic, our first story on this list. This is a four-issue limited series that came out between 83 and 84, written by, you know, His High Holiness, Chris Claremont, with pencils by John and Sal Buscema and Ron Friends. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Hey, Adam. What yeah. do you think about Storm and Iliana magic? Oh, my God. Um, you know, it's great that we're covering this, because the last time we uh, we sat down to record, we went through Inferno, and you know, that was kind and of like... And people were mad at us, by the way. Oh, yeah. You thought we... we disagreed? You thought we disagreed about Inferno. Turns out our entire listening audience disagrees with us about Inferno. Yeah, apparently people uh, people love the Inferno a lot more than we do. Oops, sorry, guys. Uh, but, you know, that's that's why it's our show. It's set in stone now. There is no changing anything. We have yeah. we have decided. You know, I think we both agreed we really like the New Mutants Inferno end of yeah. this uh, storyline. And, uh, man, I had forgotten. Like, it, it always surprises me. Every time I revisit this mini, I'm, I'm always shocked by just how dark it is. Uh, yeah. A lot of people die. And not just that. I made the joke earlier about Darkest Timeline, like that community episode where, you know, everybody has the mustaches and everything has gone to hell. Um, this is kind of like the darkest timeline, even though it's it's not a timeline story. To be clear, it involves Limbo and Belasco. And, uh, but it does involve some altered dimensional versions of our X-Men favorites. And it is weird and it is dark. Well, it gets to it gets to be a what if while staying in continuity. Because yes. this entire this entire four issue series 
which takes place in the fiction over what seven years seven oh, years yeah. yeah yeah well we gotta get uh, magic aged up here it takes place between panels of uncanny x-men 160 mm-hmm. it is just you know a flash and there's this big mystery for about a year of how iliana went from six to 13 and we find out in just the most horrible way here She's trapped by the demon Belasco, who wants to use Ileana to release the Elder Gods to destroy the Earth. And he does that by slowly and torturously removing parts of her soul. She also gets a cool sword, but still. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's everything down to, especially the portrayal of Kitty Pride here as Cat. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is about as dark as as you can get. Everybody oh, here is a murder girl. Yeah, everything is is doomed. You know, nobody really wins this this conflict. You know, uh, especially not Eliana, who walks away oh, from this it, as this very cursed character. It destroys her. It yeah. It takes Eliana, who's this amazing, just young little girl, and it breaks her down, and it takes her from you know Colossus's snowflake to this person who's gone through this immense trauma she has seen her friends corrupted she's seen her friends murdered she's had to kill her friends to survive Mm -hmm. yeah she's had to sacrifice part of her soul to just get through it and she's not even 13 it's a friggin rough series yeah, it is. Um, I also think that it really serves as the, like a lot of the meat behind what makes Magic such an interesting character when we put all of this background context into our, you know, occasionally more fanciful adventures in New Mutants. You know, New Mutants oh, yeah. can get dark. And, um, you know, for those people out there who are maybe complaining about the horror theming of the new mutants movie, you know, people should go back and, and <laughs> read new mutants because there's a lot of horror elements to it. But one of those is that all of this stuff gets carried back with her into that team book and then ultimately surfaces an inferno in, in its conclusion. So, you know, this is some heavy, heavy baggage that gets brought back into, uh, into regular continuity. Right. And then one other thing, one of the big themes that that a Claremont touches on here is that the fact that an abusive relationship, especially with someone who is your mentor, with someone who is you know supposed to be a caretaker, supposed to be looking out for you, mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to get through. I know a lot of people they have conflicted relationships with their parents because there's parents who haven't always done the right thing i mean parents are human i both adam and i are dads we know that things can go bad but there's some some abusive relationships out there that it's hard to resist that thrall it's hard to stay stay away from it in this whole time you see up until the very end iliana hates belasco but at the same time she looks up to him as like a parent as an authority feature is the only person who's consistently been around for the last seven years and it gets this weird codependent thing going on that colors a lot of Ileana's stuff not in a bad way just in the way that 
she is a survivor, but she also understands that not everything is black and white at all. It's not just good and evil in hell. There are shades of gray, and that makes... That ends up making her such a fascinating character. Like, she was she was the number one character on my uh, big old character list for mm-hmm. the entire first year of the site because she's just so freaking good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when we uh, talked about Inferno, one of the things that I mentioned was that I really wish that after she had been um, de-aged at the end of Inferno that more had been done to develop that character in the nineties because it was a huge missed opportunity. Obviously then other writers, you know, took off the cause and now she's back. Um, I think she's currently doing a a stint in secret warriors, um, or, or is about to, I'm not sure if that's, uh, she's about to that. That's a legacy thing. Yeah. I don't think it has quite happened yet, but you know, I, I love that different writers have different takes on her. Um, but, you know, to concentrate on this mini, I just, I do appreciate, cause this is a really weird one. And I do appreciate that Claremont is just kind of pushing things into, uh, some weird places. You know, there's sorcery, there's magic, there's, um, sort of almost heavy metal magazine type stuff happening here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and there's also really weird out of left field things like, uh, the character of Sim, who is very clearly an homage to Cerebus uh, by Dave Sim, uh, which was immensely popular in the 80s uh, as an indie comic. So there's all of these weird things that are getting pulled into, you know, it, it just seems like we're bouncing around in, into a particularly dark corner of Claremont's mind at this point. You know, this is very, very different from even what we were reading with regular X-Men. Um, it has a, it's a tonal difference that's, that's really wild. Right. I mean, I think one of the things I touched on, at least when we were talking about Inferno, was that that normally the mystic stuff doesn't hit well with me Mm -hmm. with the rest of X-Men. Yeah. Ileana is my biggest exception, and that comes because of this, because this issue clicks so or this series clicks so well. It builds up that, okay, Ileana can be the mystic character where, you know, someone like Pete Wisdom can be the spy character, mm-hmm. where, you know, Warlock can be the alien character. Like, that can be Ileana's thing, and it works here. It just, to me, doesn't always work when you apply that to try and force the larger X-Men universe into everyone being the mystic person. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, Claremont likes to play with this type of universe, but now X-Men doesn't always gravitate towards it. Um, yeah. We definitely saw it in Extraordinary X-Men that there was an effort to try and recapture this kind of a, a, a spirit. Um, and that has different uh, mileage with different kinds of fans. I just forgot. I just remembered last night that Ileana's Soul Sword right now has a small child living in it, and it <laughs> overjoys me. Like someone's going to come back to that in like 10 years. Like, Oh crap. Isn't there a baby just living in the soul sword? Yeah. is just chilling in that sword and, uh, you know, talking to Ileana every once in a while, distracting her from fight scenes. I was going to say, I actually think the soul sword, which gets introduced here is such a cool concept. It's Mm -hmm. such a cool idea because of the way she gets it. Ileana wants to be a healer. She wants to be, a nurturer like uh, storm was in storm 
you know, she's always gone between being a warrior and being, you know, the goddess of, you know, nature and Africa and all this stuff. And there's a very interesting balance that gets shown here where she, where Ileana lives the life of a warrior with Kat and she lives the life of, you know, a priestess with Storm. And she knows that she doesn't want to be a warrior. Mm-hmm. And she sits there and she tries to nurture, tries to make this magic acorn, all this stuff. And she just can't. Yep. But she it's... can make a weapon. She can mm-hmm. be a warrior, even if she doesn't want to. Because Ileana, her entire life is about, I didn't want to do this. But this is the situation I'm in. And I get to live it. And then she interrupts an issue of Kazar. <laughs> There's also a quick... Uh... Uh, flash to a new mutants episode if i issue uh yeah new mutants 14 14, yeah where she appeared to them and you know it's i i love that kind of stuff where it's it's those uh little continuity gaps that he's trying to fill in um with a series like this um i do think this one could be a little tricky to to rank um i don't i don't know how uh you know how often I revisit this, but uh, it is absolutely vital to the character. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw, throw out this bottom, this bottom ranking. Yeah. It is better than Inferno new mutants. I was going to go, I was going to go one below Inferno new mutants. Um, For me, Blevins and the culmination of magic story with Simonson writing is more, is, it's just a more energetic, exciting um, offering. I like the end of the story a little bit more than I like the beginning of the story, but um, that was where I was looking in the list. Um, I was thinking more towards number twelve. It looks like you're looking for number eleven. I was looking. I was looking higher than that. That was just my bottom. I think it's. Oh, that was your if bottom. If I'm being, okay. if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, yeah. I think it's better than like Dark Angel Saga. I don't think it's better oh, than really? Messiah Complex. Oh, I see. I don't think I would put it that high. I think it has a really great story to it. Um, I do think it has some weaknesses to it, you know, especially when you think about going back to, at least this is just for me. I'm going to speak for myself, but, uh, the artwork here is very house style, that's but fair. It, that's it a, that's a fair point, right? It doesn't really have a, a distinctive look to it. Um, this is before we get any of magic's visual style in terms of what she looks like in new mutants or beyond. Um, so there's a certain, uh, passive quality to what the artwork looks like here that kind of blends together for me. You know, if you were to ask me to tell the difference between Sal and John, what what it Mm -hmm. is they're doing here, I'm not sure that I could tell you that. Oh, and you gave me a hard time for getting about the brothers mixed up. I know. But there, there's such a, a continuity in terms of what the house style is that looks here that there's a certain blandness to it. Um, it's not that it doesn't look great. It's not that it's not excellent visual storytelling. It is. Like I, I think I may have said this earlier, I don't revisit this as much as I do um, New Mutant stories or you know even the conclusion of, of Magic's original story um, okay. in Inferno. So I, I find things like uh, Generation X, the first couple issues that we, we reviewed earlier, the Wounded Wolf, Dark Angel Saga. I, I think a lot of those have a lot more 
going for them than this, even though it's even though it's a, a classic mini and it's vital to the 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 canon. You know, you got to have this story or else a lot of other stuff doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I, I I hear you. I don't really have a good rebuttal to that. So I am fine with putting it as our new number twelve between okay. Inferno: New Mutants and X Men ninety two numbers one through four: The World Is a Vampire. Nice. So actually, we got we got a good we got a good uh, group of spooky stories there. Yeah. No. We... With our new number twelve. Well, Storm and speaking and of vampires, we're gonna go on a little vampire bender here, aren't we? We're gonna go with the only reason that freaking X Men ninety two Chris Sims and uh, Chad Bauer's story exists with Uncanny X Men one fifty nine, which is titled. Zach has to flip to it in his black and white essentials because uh, night screams. <laughs> night screams. Yep, that's right. Man, it's got a real good Bilson Cavage cover, doesn't it? Oh yeah, and it's it's so interesting uh, seeing Sinkevich at this uh, in '81, um, kind of trying house style. You know, like there's a, well, a this... John Byrne quality to it. So how much do you know about Bill Sienkiewicz's personal history, just out of curiosity? Oh, I, I don't know much, honestly. I mean, I, I know his art, but uh, what, so, what can you tell me? Bill Sienkiewicz, for years, uh, was described as a Neil Adams clone, like, for oh, a long okay. time. And he has stated several times mm. it bothered him a lot. And then if you start to look at stuff, especially on his Moon Knight run. Now, Moon Knight is a character that I really, really like. And I could go and talk about Moon Knight for a very long time. Uh, his Moon Knight stuff starts to get just more and more experimental as it goes on. And he does you know stuff like this where in this story, it's it's probably similar to what he was doing with Moon Knight around the same time. Where there's a lot of very good kind of house style art. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, you could see where the Neil Adams clone stuff is coming. And then there's a panel or two where you can see, oh, that's that's what Bill Sienkiewicz is going to turn into. Like there's this one oh, yeah. panel with Storm in the fog. We're probably looking at the same page. I think it's page 11. I mean, look, I don't have page numbers on here. But yeah, as Storm is rising as a vampire. Oh, yeah. This story, guys, by the way. This is the story where uh, Dracula mostly turns Storm into a vampire, and then sort Kitty of. saves her with the power of friendship, which can overcome vampire bites, and then they stop Dracula. <laughs> also, Dracula mostly <laughs> also kind of gets stopped because he thinks Storm's hot. That's what happens right. in this story. That was like the <laughs> third time Storm saved the day with villains falling in love with her in like a one year stretch. And then I really, I really want to think that about at that point, Louise Simonson pulled Claremont inside and said, okay, you can't do this again. Enough. You got to do something else. <laughs> well, and can you clarify something to me? Because I, in rereading this, this was still confusing to me. Does Dracula actually turn storm into a vampire? Because but for all intents and purposes, at the end of this issue, it sounds like she kind of slept it off. Am I correct? So, like, she wakes up the next morning is kind of like, yeah, I'm good. The storytelling in this is a little disjointed. Like, I was, when I went back to reread it this time, I was like, wait, this doesn't track 100%. What happens is you see Storm going out on her own, and then you find her with, she, she was bitten. She has some teeth marks, 
but apparently yes. Dracula did not draw enough blood to fully turn her. Oh. She was in this weird transitional vampire state. And Kitty in The Power of Friendship was enough to revert her to her human form and also the fact that Storm is pretty strong-willed. Okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I mean, it does provide for some, this whole issue provides for some interesting like character moments. You know, I love, <laughs> I, I think it's really funny the bit where Kitty decides that she's going to like throw herself at Dracula with a crucifix and he just kind of throws her aside because she's Jewish. <laughs> she's like, yeah. oh, you're not, you don't have the power of Christ. It can't compel me. Um, this is a wacky one. No, it's, it's good. And they, they do revisit that a couple of times in here. And I like the the effect that's used on it because the you know they set up rules for it. She goes and Kitty, being the I know I know Dracula, I'm a sci-fi fantasy nerd girl. I got my Van Helsing outfit. I've got my crucifix. I'm going after it. And he says, Nah, you're you're Hebrew. You're Jewish. This ain't gonna work. I know you don't believe in that. And he grabs her around the neck, and then her Star of David pendant is what burns him. And then they go mm. they go back to it again when Wolverine tries the same thing. He's like, hey, look, I can make my claws into a crucifix. And he's like, but Wolverine, you don't think God's real. You've been alive for a while. I get it. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. And then Nightcrawler's like, yeah, but, then, but I do. I'm on yeah. top of this. It's yeah. great. That's my favorite moment in sticks. this. That's yeah. that Nightcrawler panel, that him saying, you know, in that case, vampire, your cause is lost for I believe. And he puts two sticks up as a crucifix. It works so well. Nightcrawler comes off the best in this story to me. Like, oh, sure. It has a lot of great things. Also, the fact that Nightcrawler just straight up says, you know, in Bavaria, we just know don't don't screw with vampires. We all accept they exist. <laughs> and we know yeah. we don't mess with them. I don't know why you guys aren't getting this. It's like a neighborhood watch, you know, like, oh, there's one. Don't don't mess with the vampire. I also love the little there's a couple of little aside uh, things that happen. Like the beginning of this issue is them um, breaking into a supermodel's apartment. Uh, They're breaking Um, into they're breaking into (laughs) Misty Knight's apartment. But but her her roommate is is this like uh, supermodel who then lends Storm and Kitty the most fashionable clothes, but they kind of look like librarians when they get dressed like a up. Little it's bit. like oh, like a, like so a hip. Um, the other thing I love in this issue, which is not part of the regular story, is there's a little um, two page aside where Havoc, uh, Cyclops, and Corsair are hanging out. Lorna <laughs> and corsair is still in his corsair what else outfit. is he gonna wear like everyone... he's a space pirate he commits no, to just... the bit i just love that the, the the space pirate owns no street clothes you know <laughs> like everybody else is chilling out in their jeans and and jackets and uh he's there with uh you know he's got the head he's he got you know he's got his bandana and his earrings and everything mustache. he's not trying to blend in at all it's no great. he is great I, yeah and i think i think this this story more than uh more than inferno even emphasizes the stuff that doesn't click with me about x-men like i i I get that dracula and storm have this thing and this issue and then there's an annual about it and it just keeps coming back i never care about it i really don't 
I don't. I don't. Yeah, get I mean, it. the most successful iteration of this is when it's parodied to a certain extent with the world as a vampire. And even that, I hold, is the weakest part of X Men '92. But that's a yeah, personal, even thing. though we love personal it. thing. Yeah, I, you know, like these standalone stories are something that uh, are really fun. There was actually a really nice throwback to this in Old Man Logan, uh, not too long that ago. That was good. That also that played fun. on on Jubilee. Uh, that was really fun. So I, I like that it's part of the, the world. I like that it's part of the universe. Is it vital? Is it necessary? No. Where would you rank this uh, on, our, on our grand list? So if we're going by spooky and scary stories, mm-hmm. because that's what's around, I think it's yeah. worse than The World is a Vampire. I think it's worse yeah. than Inferno. I think it's better than the first arc of exiles i I, that's where i'm looking i like wolverine snicked better i really do i like wolverine snicked better uh as a whole too i I think i would revisit that first before i I would go guys don't sleep on wolverine snicked it's like five issues take it 20 minutes to read it's very good and you'll like it it's really fun so i think that's a good place to put it number 24 so Uncanny X Men thirty nine or the one fifty nine that Dracula issue our new number twenty four. <laughs> but Adam, I have a question for you. Yeah, you, I, ha- I have a big question for you. So in this, in mm-hmm. this, Storm turns on Dracula. Yes. But what if? What if she didn't? What if she couldn't overcome that oh. and she turned the X Men into vampires? And then what if? What if Wolverine decided? He liked the idea of being Lord of the Vampires, just liked the just liked the thought of it, and decided to become Lord of the Vampires. <laughs> you know, Zach, I don't know that anyone has ever contemplated what you're talking about, especially not in printed form. We're talking about what if number 24, <laughs> what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? Uh, it was yeah. written by Roy Thomas and R.J.M. Lofficier? I can't pronounce it. Lofficier? It's French. It's very French. very French. Pencils by Tom Morgan. Inks by Tom Morgan. Colors by Tom Vincent. Adam, 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 Adam. (laughs) Do you know what's so great about what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? I... I don't want to say it because I feel like this is near and dear to your heart. So uh, I, I I feel like I don't want to reveal too much here and ruin it for you. So why don't you share the uh, the many pleasures of this particular issue, which blew my freaking brain. It was like a mind blowing experience. So here's what happens. Wolverine, Colossus and Nightcrawler all get turned into vampires. Wolverine yep. then straight up says, you know, I kind of like the name Lord of the Vampires and challenges Dracula <laughs> to a duel for vampireship. Wolverine turns into a wolf because that's what vampires can do. And that's what a Wolverine is. It's a big old wolf, right? Uh, debatable. Yeah. It's kind of like a badger. <laughs> <laughs> he then cuts off Dracula's head, makes a punny one-liner about it. And then decides mm-hmm. to turn all of the X-Men and New Mutants and mutant-based characters into vampires. Decides yep. to... two panels. Everybody's a vampire. Well, it's what if. You gotta you gotta keep that snappy. Oh, we're, we, yeah. We gotta keep, get that apocalypse moving. Let's he go. takes over the entire world. Or entire U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, decides, hey, Doctor Strange, 
he could probably figure out the vampire destroying Montessi formula, which is a thing. Like that's a Marvel thing that I'm going to accept is straight. Right. Gets Juggernaut to straight up murder Doctor Strange, and then gets Doctor Doctor Strange goes and he finds the one man he thinks can help get him the Montessi formula. Before you reveal this, I just want to say that I, when you told me we were reading this, I'd never read it before. And when I flipped the page and then this happened, I, like it was an amazing Eureka moment that I, like, you know, those moments when you're reading a book and you just never realized that you wanted something before it happened. And then it happens and you're like, how did I live without this? This is that thing. So please share what happens. He possesses next. the Punisher and the Punisher has to go be Dr. Strange for a while. He gets the freaking Eye of Agamotto. He gets the Cloak of Levitation. And Dr. Strange says, hey, uh, by the way, uh, you know all these vampires that I know you're killing right now because that's what you do. You want to go kill all of them? And the Punisher says, of course. Why wouldn't I? He says, yes. well, if I can believe in vampires, I guess I can stretch the point to include ghosts. He <laughs> <laughs> just... The first like 15 pages of this are ridiculous in and of themselves, uh, especially when you get little vignettes like uh, J. Jonah Jameson, who wants evidence of the vampire takeover because he doesn't believe it's happening. And his reporters are like, but they don't show up on film. It's amazing. I was laughing so hard. But then once we hit, I think it's page, uh, 16 uh, 17 is the yeah, big reveal where you get head to toe frank castle still in the punisher oh, he's got the skull outfit, he's got the skull holding a gigantic machine gun but he's also wearing the cloak well, and the eye adam, i mean adam, do you know whoa. what that machine gun's loaded with silver bullets and not only that <laughs> Am I mistaken? The gloves are also coated in silver, and he's also packing a holy water super soaker <laughs> that he uses to defeat Colossus. It is the most insane arsenal that has ever been developed in a oh, Marvel Do you know comic. why the U.S. falls so quickly to vampirism? Be be but why? I feel because the coming. I'm not no. I'm just I'm reading things verbatim at this point because the army is just terrified because. Quote, I'm talking about vampirism. Why, the cost of silver bullets alone is liable to bankrupt the country. <laughs> this yep. is amazing. Anyway, Punisher fights Wolverine, Lord of the Vampires. Uh, and then he gets, you know, big knockout, knockdown drag out fight. It's a lot of fun. And then Kitty Pride shows up out of nowhere to try and stop it. Punisher cuts off her head. Just on accident. Mm -hmm. She's a vampire, so he doesn't feel bad, but he did cut off her head. Gets himself murdered, and Wolverine, Lord of the Vampires, is so sad about it. He can't believe what just happened. And his human side fights with his vampire side for control for just a moment to recite the Montessi formula that he finds in Doctor Strange's, uh, you know, Sanctum Sanctorum, and destroys all the vampires in the world. Everybody turns, turns to dust. To the dust. <laughs> this is... I can't emphasize how amazing this what-if is. This is what the concept of what-ifs were for. 
I feel like when you read what ifs, it, the thing that always turned me off about what if, uh, as a book was that I would pick up random issues of it and inevitably in almost every single what if story, it's just the end of the world. So it's like, all right, you know, like what if this character went outside on a Tuesday and it's like end of the world by the end oh, yeah. of 30 pages, everyone right? dies at the end of a what if, and this is no different. No, but what happens in between from the beginning to the end is so patently ridiculous that it is a wonder to behold. And I, I would highly recommend so, this book. So Roy to anybody. Thomas is a veteran of the industry. Make no mm-hmm. mistake, mistake about that. Roy Thomas, the second person to write X Men, he's like he's been around a bit. He was what Marvel's second, or not their actual second, but modern Marvel post ff number one marvel's second editor-in-chief wow he's been around for a good long time how serious do you think he took the writing of this book because i honestly i honestly can't tell if he was writing a straight silver age book or if he was writing a parody i don't know i don't know the thing that pushes it over into parody for me is not the punisher it's the juggernaut like the juggernaut as a vamp as a murdering vampire is just so silly and like i don't know <laughs> like he basically just kills doctor strange by punching him in the in the face look if it works yeah i mean there's there's definitely a sense of parody here but it you know it takes itself seriously which is what yeah, makes it fun it's, it's i i i don't i i don't have the words for this book like i don't know i i want to know if the creative team took it seriously like did they think they were making this big dark work of art or were they savvy enough and i want to say they were to say this is we're, we're gonna make this a goof book right like we're just gonna throw marvel comics at the wall and see what sticks i i gotta imagine that it's it's a little bit of the latter uh if only because of the J. jonah jameson scene and then the other scene that you referenced with uh you know there. I think there's a couple of scenes. Oh yeah. There's a whole page where we talk about why the silver bullets are so expensive. And then uh, there's a little accord happening in Paris about, you know, containing the plague of vampirism to the United but, States. So, you know, this is definitely tongue in cheek to a certain extent. Would it be extent. out of place in 1965? Like if this book came out in 1965 and not 1993, would, uh, w- no, you, you bring up a good know. point. Like context is everything I in this case, know. right? You know? This is this is bonkers in all of the right ways. I love this book so much. And there's it's a, a sequel that I have not read. It's called What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires During Inferno. This is a weird one to rank. I mean, look, um, look, but I, I know you're not gonna let me put it above Days of Future Past. Oh no, no. It's too <laughs> silly for that. I mean, I I think it's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of um I mean this is tough cuz it is a, it is so much fun it really is but it's also like it's a what if so you know it it has no canon to it it's it's clearly superior to uh uncanny 159 yes, which is better than that um because it, it takes that story to such like a, a bizarre bonkers level that uh, you, you were not expecting what's coming here. But it's also not part of X-Men continuity at all. It's, it's you know, it's a so silly about aside. A, around the center point um, of our list, 
we also have an X-Men story about vampires that is not in normal X-Men continuity. How do you feel about this against mm-hmm. The World is a Vampire from X-Men 92? I think this okay. is better. Okay. Okay. We're on the same page. Yeah. And uh, my apologies to uh, to Chris and Chad. You, for hold, that, on, hold on. Hold like, on. Hold on. Adam. <laughs> do you think that Chris Sims is going to be upset when I do tweet him and say, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but I think what if Wolverine Lord of the Vampires might be better than the vampire arc of X-Men 92 because I'm pretty sure he texts back and like yeah I know it's very good <laughs> like this is if you know anything about Chris it's the kind of thing you can imagine Chris Sims like framing and, and hanging this is in the a... Punisher this is Wolverine this is vampires this is literally the most Chris Simsian comic I've ever seen. This is very specific references for a very small portion of our audience. So Luke, I know you're laughing. Good job. Everyone else, I'm sorry. That's okay. I think people, uh, you know, are I don't know if everyone knows the specifics about. of Chris Sims likes and dislikes of comic books. That's okay. I, I still think that, uh, you know, we can, we can rank this higher than X-Men 92. However, out of, let's say uh, respect for Canon, I don't know that I could put it above uh, magic. Uh, what do you, what do you I, think? Look, where would you go? I agree with that, but I would have put magic higher anyway. So that, okay. that's the conflict yeah, that's... I have here because like, I, I think this is better than the dupe issue. I, I can see I can see oh. it not being better than Generation X one wow. through three because that's really cool stuff. Mm. Yeah. I am in a pickle. I understand. Like I and I, I share your uh, enthusiasm for this issue. Like I, I too, as I'm reading it, was 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 just like so excited. I, I just thought it was so much fun. Um but it you know as it is, as you know, sort of this alternate dimension thing, it, it kind of exists aside from, uh, you know, the, the normal storyline. So I don't feel like it has the same emotional heft as, uh, you know, like the, the end of Inferno. And I Mutants. think I'm losing out a lot this um, week and this is going to be changed in the future at some point, but I think I'm fine. I, I think I agree with you that, I, I can accept that this goes in at number 13, the spookiest number. Only because like that. that that's the only reason I'll be willing to concede right now. Our new number 13 is what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? I, that's a great place for it, for the for this uh, spooky it episode. Is. So that's three <laughs> up, and that's three down, and three good ones at that. Let's, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. Everything related to Battle of the Atom and the Xavier Files Media Empire is supported by the fine folks over at Patreon.com who chip in as little as a dollar a month to keep, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that is needed to provide this content to you. Uh, if you have a specific request for Battle of the Atom, one of the things you can do, actually, drop two bucks. Drop two bucks into the Patreon and we'll get your request bumped 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 right up to the very top we've got a handful of requests coming that i'm very excited about and at the 25 dollars a month level if you feel so kind you can jump yourself up and be a guest we actually have one of those coming in the in the next few months it's going to be really exciting i put that on there as a goof i didn't think people would do it you guys are blowing my mind beyond that 
if you liked all the X-Men based content you got and you want more of it but with your eyes and not your ears, you can go over to XavierFiles.com where I have weekly, weekly, weekly articles about different X-Men characters. As this one goes up, I will have just posted one about Lila Cheney. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I like Lila. She's fun. She rocks. You can also go to Twitter.com and follow me at Xavier Files for all of my X-Men based thoughts. That's also where we post the link to the show and all that good stuff. Now, Adam, where can people find you online? If you want to check out illustrations, go to adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, I'm in the midst of wrapping up Inktober. Uh, I haven't been posting those on my Tumblr, but I'm, I'm probably going to just, once they're all done, all 31 of them, I'll, I'll just put them on mass up there. And then, uh, if you guys want to follow on Twitter, I am at Arthur Stacy, um, on Twitter. Yeah. So, jump uh, right jump on, on board. board. But that wraps it up until next week, where next week we have a lot of fun going into the Mojo verse. This has been yeah. This, it, Super I'm psyched too. I'm only not psyched that we couldn't get both issues of the Youngblood X Force and X Force Youngblood crossover that takes place in the Mojoverse, and I'm like 90% sure was written to be canon and has not been contradicted. I am fascinated by that. I gotta track those down because we it's, we gotta we gotta cover those at some point. We're not covering them next week. I'm thinking about them in my heart though. Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survive the experience! Beyond that, if you like what you've heard and you want to hear more about X-Men, you can go to XavierFiles.com slash X-Men, where there is not a XavierFiles.com slash X-Men. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. That's not a URL that I use.